This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. I'm Sierra Goodwill Patriots Insider for CLNS Media, inviting you to subscribe to our New England Patriots Press Pass podcast. Alongside myself, Evan Lazar, Alex Barth, and Mike Petralia, we provide inside access to the six-time Super Bowl champions from inside Gillette Stadium and everywhere on the road. Our credentialed insiders provide instantaneous news and analysis, as well as access to full press conferences from Bill Belichick, Tom Brady, Robert Kraft, and everyone else inside Patriots Place. Make sure to subscribe to New England Patriots Press Pass wherever you listen to podcasts. everybody, it's Drags. It's Wednesday, October 30th, the day after the NFL trading deadline. Time for episode 322 of Patriots Beat on the CLNS Media Network. Find us at clnsmedia.com and follow us, as I'm sure you always do, on Twitter, especially on game days, at Patriots CLNS. This week, I welcome a first-time victim of the Patriots Beat, Andy Hart. A brand personality, as you are so defined on my uh, former employer uh, at WEEI and WEEI.com. Obviously, you worked for many, many years at Patriots.com. Welcome aboard, Andy. How you doing? I'm doing great. I can't believe it took 322 episodes before you asked me. I'm kind of hurt. uh, I will uh, make sure that it's not another 322 before I have you on again. How's that for a promise? I look forward to the next one already. Uh, off day pod. Tell us about that um, with uh, Ryan Hannibal, and there's a reason I'm asking you about this. Uh, I feel like I'm being set up, but it's uh, the new podcast. maybe. <laughs> it's the new podcast that Ryan and I started. Um, I guess in the summer, but really started to take off a little bit um, once the regular season started for the Patriots. We do a couple episodes a week, a post game episode, and then usually a, a midweek episode on Wednesdays, which previews the next game, and uh, so far it's been fun. Obviously, I come from uh, a long time uh, on Patriots.com with the podcast there with Fred Kirsch and Paul Perillo and Eric Scalvino and all those guys, which used to be PFW in progress, and then the PFW part, Patriots Football Weekly, went out of business and ended up now as a PU. Um, so, you know, I've been doing the podcast thing for a long time, but uh, I enjoy it with Ryan. I uh, I beat him up a little bit. I try to drag a little personality out of him, and uh, so that far, is I'm... not an easy thing to do, my friend Andy. <laughs> that is, and I lo- look. We both love Ryan, um, but just so everybody out there is in on the joke, and I worked with Ryan from his beginnings at Weei. He's a little straight laced. Is that being uh, kind? Yeah, I, I think that's a nice way to say it. Um, another meaner way would be. I need to pull personality out of him, but um, no, I love Ryan. I actually think Ryan, for, for the what he does for that website is Remarkable. among the best, if not the best, in Boston. Personally, uh, no argument from me. And I worked with the guy for three years, so um, I have. I always used to tease him, uh, especially on the Patriots beat. Uh, about him posting every little thing from social media, and I know. Um, He's gotten away from that a little bit more, so he's uh, more sane and kept his, per, you know, his sanity a little bit more uh, because he's not doing that all the time. But I remember back in the day, oh my God, 
Well, he works hard, and the, the you you know this. A, if you post anything Patriots related, it blows up yep. almost anything. Yep. And B, in this day of as you mentioned, social media and what did Tom Brady tweet and what did Tom Brady put on Facebook and what did Julian Edelman tweet? Um, it's sort of a thankless job trying to keep up with it, and and yet fans eat it up. Fans love it. So um, I give him credit because he spends a lot more time doing that, so that I don't have to. Quite frankly. <laughs> Um, yeah, and uh, that's exactly the way I looked at it. I, just <laughs> off the beaten path here, what do you think of social media and football? Because I know Alex Barth, our uh, colleague at CLNS Media, brought up this point, and I thought it was an excellent one at the time it happened with Antonio Brown. Before social media, he's still on the Patriots, right? Um, Meaning, if he doesn't... <sighs> the way news spreads... And the way that story unfolded, especially over social media, and I, I guess, obviously, the thing that eventually got him in trouble were the texts, right? The threatening texts. Right. But um, in this day and age, that story was lightning speed compared to even five years ago, I think. Oh, yeah, there's no question. that. I mean, the entire saga, saga, I guess I said saga, saga, of Antonio Brown, not only here, but in Oakland and, and the, the fast burn there. And that's what I think is remarkable is, is the lack of a honeymoon period he had either in Oakland or in new England. And I do think some of that was his issues with social media. Cause you know, even when he was in the midst of the, the good times, those short couple days when it was good times with the Patriots, yep. remember there was that weird Thursday night, uh, TB 12 training facility, Instagram live video with, Alex Guerrero, and he's bragging about, look, Alex, we got 17,000 on here, or whatever it was. And, and there was that awkward smile on the other end. <laughs> yes, and the whole thing was just strange, and you're right, and, and that's, I mean, it's, some of it is a lesson in, you know, social media and the dangers, and probably a, a teachable moment for college coaches and other pro coaches to sort of look at a case study of Antonio Brown and how negatively affected he was by his social media, even going back, obviously, to the Steelers and the the live, whatever it was, Facebook Live or whatever he used in the locker room for the Mike Tomlin postgame speech. And it's really altered his career and his persona because it wasn't that long ago. He's always going to be remembered as a great player, but it wasn't that long ago that I think he was sort of known as a a fun-loving, big-smile personality, dancing with the stars. And I think the unraveling, you're right, some of it is social media-related and his inability to stay off social media beyond the obvious off-field issues. But I think a lot of those got bigger thanks to social media, right to the point where he was you know, promising to pay people via social media exposure instead of actually paying his damn bills that he owed people. Yeah, I, I just not aware. I feel, to me... That's a sad, sad story, and I'm glad it's, you know, in the past, and hopefully A.B. moves on. Patriots have moved on, though they certainly could have used the four and a half, five million dollars million uh, that it cost them in terms of cap space uh, at Tuesday's trade deadline. And I'm not saying necessarily that even if they had had that money, Andy, speaking with Andy Hart, you can follow him uh, on Twitter, at Jumbo Hart, all one word, great reporter and columnist and brand personality for WEI.com. <laughs> but uh, my point about, um, you know, 
Antonio Brown and the money that they spent. They may or may not have been able to make a trade for Tyler Eifert or A.J. Green or uh, O.J. Howard um, at the trade deadline anyway, right? Because it may have cost them too much in draft capital. Yep. But um, certainly the optics of that, it, it, it came back to, to roost a little bit on trade deadline day, don't you think? Yeah, no question. I mean – um, our guy Miguel over at a Boston Sports Journal, what was yep. it last week? He had them down to at one point before the Michael Bennett trade, like ten thousand seven hundred and eighty-two dollars of cap space, and they've sort of exhausted a lot of the avenues of creating cap space. And you know, even the the, the kicking the can down the road a little bit in terms of guaranteeing some salary this year, right, bumping McCourty, it back. High Tower, right. Well, there's only so many of those guys, and then, you know, I thought Bill Belichick today in his conference call referenced that where you can do things, but how much do they make sense? And I think they're at that point where almost anything they did doesn't make sense. Anything they would do to create cap space doesn't make sense in the long term, so it would really have to be worth it for whoever you were going to acquire and needed that cap space for. And then he also explained, which I've been saying you know, it's interesting because Jason Lockenfora has been the guy that's really been on, you know, the Patriots have been in on talks with a lot of teams and big-name players, and he threw guys like Nate Solder out there. And even last night, you know, his hunch was O.J. Howard would end up with the Patriots. Well, you also, you don't just need the cap space to acquire a singular player. You have a half a season plus to go where you need to be able to sign a veteran if a guy goes down with an injury. You know, some guy has to go on IR. Well, now I need a backup defensive tackle. Well, you need the $800,000 that it might cost you to do that, um, and a vet, even on a veteran minimum type deal, whatever. So just the cost of doing business over the rest of the season um, is, is it has to be included in their budget, as Bill Belichick sort of called it today. And I do think it was as much that, but also the draft capital that you mentioned. They already traded their second round pick for Mohamed Sanu, and that's sort of your sweet spot to trade, right? Those second, third round picks because, you know, you traded your two. Are you really going to trade your one now and have Bill Belichick go into a draft where he doesn't have a pick in the first round, doesn't have a pick in the second round? I don't know if he's really looking to do that. Now, I know you can trade future picks, but A, they're usually not quite as valuable to the other team, and B, now you're kicking it down the road in your other drafts where you'll have holes in your draft, and he's usually he's usually trying to acquire picks, not give them away. Um, so, I, I mean, their big move was trading a second-round pick for Mohamed Sanu. That was their deadline move. And then as our guy Ryan Hannibal wrote today on our website, WBEI.com, you also have Nikhil Harry and and Isaiah Wynn potentially coming off IR in the next few weeks. Um, Harry this week, potentially, and then a couple weeks down the road, Isaiah Wynn. You know, adding two first-round picks to your offense, that's not exactly a bad place to be. It's not unrealistic to expect those guys to contribute. So Sanu, Harry, Wynn, those are your trade deadline additions. Obviously, that's what they're banking on. And that's, uh, you know, I had that same sense when they uh, traded for Mohamed Sanu that that would pretty much it be it. And they traded away Michael Bennett to essentially make that swap in terms of cal- uh, cap space. Speaking with Andy Hart, uh, brand personality, Patriots columnist, of course, for uh, WEI.com. Follow him on Twitter. 
at Jumbo Heart, all one word. The football season is indeed in full swing. Get into the game with our exclusive online sports betting partners, betonline.ag. Sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit to start betting college or professional ball. Every spread, every total, every winner or loser, straight bet, parlay, or even tease your way through the season. You can bet on some wild proposition bets. Everybody knows that Jay Gruden was fired a couple of weeks ago by the Skins. Who will be next? And will the O and 7 Dolphins ever win a game? I think the answer to that, uh, Andy, by the way, is uh, yes, they will. The week after the uh, Patriots visit the Bengals, I think the Dolphins are going to beat the Bengals in Cincinnati. But that's another discussion. Uh, get, get the fastest-to-market odds, updates, and payouts with our new sportsbook partners. BetOnline.ag. Head on over to the website. Today, or you can also use your mobile handy device to join and use that promo code CLNS50 to get your 50% welcome bonus. BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Back with Andy Hart of WEEI and WEEI.com. Um, so, we've uh, been over what the Patriots didn't do. We touched briefly a little while ago on what they uh, did do, and that was acquire Mohamed Sanu, uh, proving yet again you can never have enough slot receivers for Tom Brady. <laughs> That's so true. And, you know, they all, they all come in different shapes and sizes. You know, Julian Edelman's a little shorter, a little quicker. Sanu's a little bigger. Um, and Jacoby Myers is kind of finding his way right now. But, you know, the, the slot receiver usually lines up inside the outside receiver. If you don't have an outside receiver, how do you have a slot receiver is one of those philosophical questions. But obviously, that's on Josh McDaniels to find out how to best use um, these various pieces right now. And, you know, I think it'll be interesting to see when Harry comes off IR. And I'm saying when because I do think it's probably a foregone I mean, he's solution. playing Sunday night in Baltimore, barring some unforeseen setback, which is – Given his injury history, I guess I shouldn't be that um, casual about it. And that, uh, you know. So, so if he plays, what time do those games start? Eight twenty. Eight twenty Sunday night so football. He plays at eight twenty. When does he get his first Tom Brady glare or stare for uh, being in the wrong place or dropping a ball? Because it's coming. There's no doubt in my mind. It's coming. Uh, I'm going to say late first quarter on a third and four. He doesn't <laughs> ri- he doesn't read the hot route and the uh, Ravens come at. Brady and force him to get rid of the ball early, incomplete. That's when he gets it. He, uh, you know what? Didn't um, Jacoby Myers get that treatment last week? I think he did. Um, after one incompletion early in the game, it was. Uh, and Jacoby's been, you know, one of Brady's um, buds here in the in this 2019 season. But I know I recall uh, looking down, and it was an incompletion, and Brady and and gave it to uh, Jacoby Myers. Everybody gets it. Everybody gets it. And it doesn't matter whether you're Julian Edelman or Jacoby Myers, undrafted or the Super Bowl MVP. You're getting it because, you know, we've talked about it so many times. Brady is executing at such a high level. He knows what's supposed to be done, who's supposed to be where, how it's supposed to unfold. And if you don't play up to his speed, up to his caliber, you're going to get it. Now, the issue is, you know, that old phrase that Belichick uses, don't be an error repeater. Anybody can get the glare once. Don't make me glare again. Don't make me glare at you again two plays later, and, you know, if it happens to Harry, how does he react to it? Because remember, Jacoby Myers had the nice learning experience in the preseason. may not have felt nice at the time, but he played with Tom Brady in the third preseason game, cut that one route short when Brady threw deep, little miscommunication on another route, and he felt the glare. He felt the talking to. He felt that 
you know, 20 year elder deal with him. And I think that he even said at the time it was a good learning experience. And I think that's something, you know, that first time you get chewed out or glared at by anybody, whether it's your boss, your wife, whatever, um, a coach, a, a teammate, a veteran teammate, you learn from it and you build from it. That's something Harry's going to have to go through sort of on the fly over the second half of the season. But, you know, I have my doubts about Harry because I wasn't overly impressed. You know, he had those two really nice catches in the Detroit preseason game. He had another, I can recall a, a, a particular catch in practice where he beat, I think, Jason McCourty um, on one of those contested balls, back shoulder contested balls. You're talking balls. about training camp, right? Yes. And that's clearly the strength of his game right now. But I have concerns about some of the other stuff. You know, the ability to get open, the ability to create any separation, or yeah. is every pass. I would agree be- with that. And it's going to be interesting to see, because I think his head was spinning a little bit in the summer when he was trying to, you know, it seems so long ago. We talked about it earlier. Antonio Brown, Josh Gordon, those guys weren't a part of the picture. There was a time there where, you know, it looked like they were investing in Harry to be the the primary outside target. And then he gets hurt, and Josh Gordon's back, and then Antonio Brown's here for a week, and sort of everything played out over the, the course of the last couple months. But now you're back to the point where you have to count on Nikhil Harry to be your primary outside target, I think, or hope that he can become that. Um, and, again, it, he's a first-round pick. You know, I know Brady sort of cautioned against us in training camp about expecting too much from these guys, these first-round picks. But that's just the reality of the business. And, you know, you look around the league, you know, there's a guy like uh, McLaurin in Washington. You know, yep, from Ohio State. Right. Yep. He's an impact rookie as, a, I think, a third-round pick. Um, you know, it's you can do it. There are guys that find a way to do it. Malcolm Mitchell would be the example that I think you'd try to, try to show Nikhil Harry, a guy that got off to a little bit of a slow start as a rookie, but second half of the season into the playoffs and certainly the Super Bowl was a contributing rookie receiver. Um, I think you're going to need to get some of that out of Nikhil Harry. Um, and we're going to find out, you know, what he brings to the table, not only physically, but, but mentally, how he reacts to the, the ups, the downs, the, the glare of Brady, the chewing out by Belichick or Joe Judge, whatever it may be. Um, and that's, that's a pretty big unknown for this team, I think, over the second half of the season. Over under on the number of targets on Sunday night for Nikhil Harry, assuming he plays. I'm going to say four, four to five. I was going to go five, but five's, if I, if I had the number at five, I think I'd go under, but, um, I, I just, I think it's going to be fascinating to see how the Patriots handle this coming down the stretch, the final eight games of the year, because the irony is everybody says that you need the run game, and the Patriots have found their running game just in the nick of time last year, obviously in the final two home games against the, what, the Jets and Bill, or Bills and Jets, and then um, absolutely ran through the Chargers like Swiss cheese because they went with um, the dime and the... Uh, seven package, whatever that's called, I forget what it's called. But um, my question for you, Andy, is when Dante Skarnekius says to reporters on Monday, like he did, uh, you know, I'm not satisfied. I'm really disappointed with our run game so far. How did you take that? Um, I think he's just a really honest coach at this point in his career. Um, he was also pretty hard on himself, like pointed to himself. And, I mean, I know you can say that that's what a good coach does, a good leader does, Bill Belichick does it, Josh McDaniels 
did it today on his conference call. Um, but I, I, I think Scar's being hard on himself. I think Scar's done a pretty good job. I think we all know. I think he's a great coach. He's one of the greatest. He belongs uh, in the Hall of Fame, but that's, I mean, certainly I'm biased and I know right. assistant coaches don't get into Canton normally, but uh, I, I think they should make the exception there. Right. He is a great assistant coach and a special guy. And I actually think he's done a pretty good job with what he's had to work with this year because when you, again, you look at how far things have come and changed since not only training camp, but the off season where Veld here, I think they expected to be a contributor, maybe the starting left tackle. Um, if, if Wynn didn't work out or, you know, if it worked out this way and Wynn got hurt, I think Veld here would have been your starting left tackle. Um, Schwenke, Brian Schwenke, I think would have been an interior guy. So Shaq Mason goes down the other night against Cleveland. I think that's a start for Brian Schwenke, but didn't work out. You know, they trade for Russ Bodine. That doesn't work out. Um, and they've had these, you know, Marshall Newhouse is what he is. He's a journeyman backup left tackle who has had to start for you for basically the first half of the season. You've had Ted Karras having to take over the center role. I think Ted Karras is a a nice backup slash bit starter, but when you ask Ted Karras to start eight games, I, I'm not sure that's really the role he's best suited for. So they've really had to sort of piece it all together, and it hasn't derailed what they've been doing. Now, I'm not going to say it's been great. They haven't run the ball well. They haven't protected Brady well at times, but they also haven't imploded. And I've said this before, you know, I, I, I watch, you know, some random Monday night football game and you're watching the pregame and they tell you that, oh, so-and-so team is bad. You know, they have three backups starting, including a rookie or something like that. Usually it doesn't end well. Usually it's a debacle where the other team's defensive front is dominating the game, sacks the quarterback eight times and everything falls apart. That hasn't happened with the Patriots through the first eight wins of the season. Um, certainly the, the run blocking hasn't been good enough. I would also argue that their second year starting running back has not been good enough. No, it's not been a great year for Sonny Michelle. No. I mean, so, anybody you know, who's I, watched it can see that. Yeah, I think to some degree, Scar has, you know, made quote-unquote chicken salad out of, out of what he was given. And I have my questions about Michelle at this point. I I had high hopes. You mentioned last January and February. He was really good. Now, obviously, the offensive line was really good um, that he ran behind in those playoff games and on the way to a Super Bowl uh, victory. But I thought maybe a year in the system, I had hoped that he was going to get healthier. Because even last year, I didn't think you saw a very explosive guy. And this year, you still don't see a very explosive guy. And I almost feel like he's resigned to he is what he is at this point. And that's a a workhorse back, and maybe a guy, if you remember, Mike Lombardi talked about when, you know, before the draft that the, the knee concerns and he might have bone in, on bone issues, which is always right a bad thing to hear from anybody, whether it's your mother-in-law or your running back. That's a bad thing to hear. And I, I personally, I'm just about to the point where I'd like to see Damian Harris and see what Damian Harris has to offer. You are certainly not alone because I got to tell you, uh, when Evan and uh, Alex and I do the pregame inactives every Sunday or Monday, um, the number one question, reaction, we get every single time we do those um, Instagram lives or Twitter lives, whatever you want to call it, on social media, is Damian Williams. Like, yep. where is he? Why isn't he active? And I know he was at, he's been active twice this year, both against the Jets, correct? I think I'm remembering that accurately. Yes. yes. One through to... 
what James one James White had his baby and the other Rex Burkhead was still hurt. That's but right. There seems to be even the he got the carries late in the second Jets game when Sony limped off with a, a minor injury or whatever after a carry. Then it was like third and fifteen and Harris picked up, I don't know, thirteen or fourteen yards on a draw. I just I look at him, I look at his resume, you take him as a third round pick out of Alabama, couple thousand yard seasons. Then I just look at him, quite frankly, he's pretty jacked. He looks like a guy that is built like an NFL running back. He looked good in a limited sampling in the preseason, I thought. And I think he's shown a little bit of flash that with everything that's gone on with Sony Michelle and his, basically his inability to get more than's blocked. If it's blocked for a one-yard loss, I feel like Sony Michelle gets a one-yard loss. If it's blocked for... You know, a five-yard gain, I think that's when he gets his five-yard gains. And I haven't really seen him get more than than was available, make anything on his own. And that's what's been disappointing to me. Hasn't become a factor in the passing game. Hasn't diversified his skills. So, you know, why? Maybe there's more to the story. Maybe there's pass protection concerns. I'm sure there are because he's a rookie running back. But I also bet he had to pass protect at Alabama, and I bet he was held to a pretty high standard there. And I just wonder if, if there's something more we're not seeing, is there something to the story we don't know behind the scenes? Because I'm sorry, I think it's time for Damian Harris to get his chance. Yeah, and I think I said Damian Williams. I Ever since he was drafted, I've gotten the Kansas City running back and the <laughs> third round pick out of Alabama confused, Damian Harris. Yes, Trags, Damian Harris is on the Patriots, not Damian Williams. I got yeah. it. Um, Justin Bethel, Bethel Johnson yet, or anything like that? No, I have not gone down that road, thank God. I um, planted the seed, good luck. Um, okay, I'm going to finish up here real quick with two things. Uh, speaking with Andy, Hart's, who been, Andy Hart, who has been very generous uh, with his time, I know you just recorded an off-day pod um, trade deadline episode on com. so be sure to go uh, check that out. Um, but I want to ask you about the place-kicking situation in New England and whether or not you think Lamar Jackson can solve this Patriots defense because I am split 50-50. Either he's going to have a great game and he's going to be the difference maker like Pat Mahomes did last year, even though they lost both games, or will the Patriots completely shut him down? So those two subjects, go. The kicking situation, um, you know, I said the second they signed Mike Nugent that he would not be the last kicker for the season. Um, and I'm not taking a victory lap. I just think it was obvious. I mean, A, he's not that good. B, you can't even consider kicking field goals longer than 40 yards. Right. So you're at a detriment there. And, I mean, let's be honest. They're not the typical Patriots where they're going to outscore everyone. Points are not an issue. You need to be able, if Tom Brady gets the ball down to the, I don't know, 30-yard line, 35-yard line, start to be thinking, well, if we, you know, if we can't, keep things moving here, we'll kick a field goal, and that wasn't really an option with Nugent. And then he had the hideous game the other night where first kick was low enough to be blocked, it was ugly low line drive, then he had one blocked, then he missed one wide left. I just, to me, he wasn't the answer, it was keep looking, and you know, sounds like Nick Folk is the guy now, certainly has a stronger leg, certainly is a guy that can at least attempt field goals from 40 plus yards and even 50 plus yards. Um, and we'll see what he is. It wouldn't stun me if he doesn't make it through the final, you know, two plus three, four months of the season as they go into the postseason. Um, this is the reality they're in now. They, they now know what 
a lot of N- other NFL teams have been going through for a long time. You know, that that world of not having a franchise kicker, not having Adam Minitari, Steven Gostowski, not having a Justin Tucker or some of these guys. And that's a reality that seems like more than half the league is in every year. And, you know, due to the injury now and even due to Gostowski's issues early, you're, you have uncertainty at that position. And, you know, in past years, it might not have been quite as big a deal. But as I said, the way you're playing and, you know, sort of melding into this team that's going to have a short passing game, as you joked earlier, a bunch of slot receivers, play defense, maybe try to run the ball, you'd like to have a little more confidence in your field goal kicker. And I certainly, me myself, will have more confidence in Folk um, just because I think you can at least attempt a few longer kicks. Now, I may lose that confidence quickly if he misses two or three field goals upon his arrival or misses a, a PAT that costs you and you're chasing points. But I just think it's there's more upside with Folk than there was with Nugent at this point. Um, and then as far as, uh, I, th- I think you're right. I, I mean, Lamar Jackson, to me, is the story of this game. Um, it's it's not the Patriots' defense as much as how he reacts to the Patriots' defense. Exactly. It, you know, it's it's the great unknown, and it wouldn't stun me if it plays out a lot like the Patrick Mahomes that you brought up from a year ago, where early in those games, he struggled a little bit. The first game, he missed some throws. I mean, I remember there was... You know, a, a run, somebody opened down the seam wide open and he missed him. He overthrows him. And then he had the bad interception in the, the regular season game at Gillette. Yeah, late in the first half, if I recall. Right. Well, if he doesn't make those early mistakes, they might win that game because it was a field goal game at the end anyway. And, you know, then the same thing, you know, didn't really do anything in the first half in the AFC title game. And then the furious comeback and, you know, push it to overtime. And a lot of people think if he had gotten the ball instead of Brady, that, you know, the Chiefs would have gone to the Super Bowl. And I think Lamar Jackson is evolving into a much better player. He's not the passer by any means no. that Patrick Mahomes is. But his running ability is something that is going to challenge this front. And it's going to be interesting. Because they, they haven't been challenged by a quarterback in almost any way all season. And certainly not a guy with his running ability. I know Josh Allen had it a little bit that ended up getting knocked out of the game. But Lamar Jackson is a different beast as a runner. And, you know, I heard Bill talking about it on our station on the uh, OMF show this week. You know, as you, you know, the, they asked a question comparing it to Tyreek Hill, the speed. You know, do you need to see it in person to really get a feel for it and then adjust to it? And I think there's something to that with Lamar Jackson. And, you know, Bill said there's nobody in practice that can replicate that. So uh, they're going to have to learn on the fly on Sunday night. But he also has to learn on the fly dealing with the amounts of coverages and looks and, you know, as poor Sam Darnold said, the ghosts that he's going to see as a young quarterback going against this defense that is playing so well and, you know, as we've seen, scoring touchdowns so well and making big plays. So my guess is, and my hope is actually, because I I would like to see a really fun football game, sort of like those Chiefs games. My guess is that Lamar's going to make his plays, that there's going to be some plays where you go, that's why he's a half-season MVP candidate. That's why he's special. And then I think you're also going to see some plays where you go, that's why he's not going to win this game. You can't miss that throw or you can't make that mistake there. Right. And I think in the end, the Patriots will probably get the job done. But I'm really intrigued. I hope he brings some of his playmaking to test this defense. Because quite frankly, I think this defense is really, really good. 
And I'm a little bit sick of just the whole, they haven't played anybody. And Oh, you've been talking to Devin McCourty lately? <laughs> Did you, yeah, you, you liked his comments after the game? Look, yes. when a player says that, by the way, you know they're more than aware of it and they're like, oh, nobody thinks we're any good. Well, I guess we're no good until we, you know, all we can do is beat the people we're going to beat, but of course we're not any good. That was right. great passive aggressive Devin McCourty. Oh, no question. And I, that's how I would be because, you know, what am I supposed to do? Tell the league, oh, I don't want to play the Dolphins. Can you, re, you know, change the schedule and send a different team to town? No, there's, there's nothing you can do except, you know, take the test that's in front of you. And they've answered every question pretty much correctly on every test they've taken for two months. But Sunday night going to Baltimore, a team that has a pretty solid history against them, and taking on this unique weapon that is Lamar Jackson. And I'll admit it, I didn't think he – when I watched that playoff game last year, I, I thought they were in trouble. I thought they had hitched their wagon to a young quarterback that just looked inept, looked like he could only run and couldn't pass. Their loss to the Chargers at home. Yes, he's evolved this year, and if he can keep evolving, he's a really fun guy. And you know, if he's he's going to have to learn because you can't run, in my opinion, as much as he does, and have a long career. You know, I think we're seeing that with Cam Newton. I think Cam Newton is a broken player at this point in his career because of the way he's played. But if he can learn to be, you know, a little bit like an Aaron Rodgers or a Russell, I think Russell Wilson's the best in the game at it: when to run, when to get down, when to get out of bounds. And if he can learn to do that, I think he's going to be a fun guy to, to watch for a long time. But he has, the Patriots have their biggest test Sunday night, and Lamar Jackson has the biggest test of his young career Sunday night. So I hope it lives up to that type of hype. By the way, be on the lookout for the Wildcat on Sunday night. I think with uh, Lamar Jackson, if you throw a Wildcat in there um, with him in, I think it would be a very fascinating play by um by uh, John Harbaugh. Who's Harbaugh's offensive John. coordinator? Um, oh, I got it in front of me. Hold on a minute. Oh, I hate yeah. it when I'm not prepared. Uh, Greg Roman. I yeah. think if Greg Roman wants to get cute, um, I think, and I think there, you have to gimmick the Patriots, I don't know, two to three times during a game just to keep them honest, just to keep them thinking. Uh, with the hope that on, let's say you gimmick four times and you hit on two of them, those, those kind of plays in a game like this could be the difference. Well, we've seen it with these two teams going back and forth over the years with some, some gimmick, um, certainly the double passes and then the ineligible, eligible players from the, from the Patriots. And be interesting to see the, uh, the, the Ravens throw a little something at the Patriots defense, which would also be interesting just in terms of sort of, uh, the technical aspect of, how would they adjust to it? How does Steve Belichick, Gerard Mayo, Bill Belichick deal with something on the fly that maybe gives them a little bit of a problem? And and as sort of a, a pretty young group of coaches and coaching staff, how would they adjust to that? So that you're right, that might be something interesting to keep an eye on. You're going to be down in Baltimore at M&T Bank Stadium with Mr. Meek? Uh, I am not, unfortunately. Oh, damn. Really? No. Nope. It's just what? Ryan, huh? Just Ryan. Ryan oh. has to bring the uh, the information, the personality, the whole thing. He's the whole, <laughs> whole kit and caboodle. <laughs> I'm sure he, I, I'll help him along. If if he need, I'll be down there with Evan, and I believe Sierra is making this trip as well. I will be sure to pump up the tires of Ryan Hannibal so he gets through another late night game. So yeah. a- anyway, 
I don't want him dragging when we when we record our uh, off day pod after the game. So make sure he uh, oh okay takes care of himself and. I want personality and energy. I don't want just, oh, boy, uh, Eeyore <laughs> Hannibal. Okay, I'll scream and yell at him, which I have, I have plenty of experience doing already. So I'll be sure to do that so he's pumped up for the pod. If you even need to slap him, remember the uh, the trainer for the Jaguars that used to have to sh- slap John Henderson before yep. games to Lyman? If you need to do that, I give you full permission to do it. Yeah, I don't know if that's politically acceptable nowadays, <laughs> but uh, I'll, sc- I'll, I'll stick to screaming. That okay. seems to be all the rage uh, these days. Anyway, um, I want to thank everybody for downloading today's podcast. Thank our terrific guest, Andy Hart, a brand personality and, of course, uh, Patriots person uh, columnist for WEEI and WEEI.com. You can follow him on Twitter, at Jumbo Hart, all one word, uh, J-U-M-B-O-H-A-R-T. Also want to thank our terrific sponsor, as always, BetOnline.ag. For producer Michael Angi and the founder of the network, Nick Gelso, this is Mike Petralia, and this has been the Patriots Beat Podcast, powered by CLNS Media. Hello, I'm Dan Lothian, host of the Behind the Media Podcast on the CLNS Media Network. Along with Jimmy Young, we dive into the biggest media headlines each week with honest, informed, and sometimes irreverent perspectives. It's not all serious. We deliver information and entertainment. As we like to say on Behind the Media, we find the interesting in media so you don't have to go searching for it. Listen to our podcast and get prepped for the next trip to the water cooler. Subscribe to Behind the Media wherever you get your podcasts or find us on www.clnsmedia.com.